is Australia. This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Hello and welcome back to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast where we try and decode the world of federal politics and the news cycle at large. My name is Wendell Hussey and it is great to be back with you again. It's obviously been a little while since we dropped an episode, but the dust has now settled on the election and after a little break to catch our breath and to let you catch your breath after a frantic few months in the political news cycle that was the federal election campaign of 2022. We're getting back into things. It hasn't taken long for things to start amping back up and for people to ask where the episodes are at. So Decode will keep rolling along, albeit with a slightly slower rollout. Think of it like the previous government's vaccine policy. Now, the same few formats will be getting a run in terms of news from the trough, the weekly recaps that we do, some interviews with politicians and notable people, and decodes of topical issues, parties, and features of the political system and things that make the news. Which leads us into today's episode. In recent weeks, a couple of things have been dominating the news cycle. The price of lettuce and gas. There are warnings Australia is on the brink of our worst energy crisis in 50 years with gas and electricity prices skyrocketing. We'll save what's going on with big lettuce for another time because today we're going to have a run at breaking down this so-called eastern gas crisis and we'll explain why it's an eastern gas crisis over the next little while rather than just a gas crisis as some other people have been calling it because anyone listening over in the Democratic People's Republic of Western Australia can probably confirm that They've actually got no idea what everyone's banging on about this gas crisis. So we've got an expert in the form of journalist Jesse Noakes, who is a West Australian local, and he's going to come on in a sec to help explain exactly what the fuck is going on and where we all went wrong. I don't think the federal government quite knows whether it's Arthur or Martha at the moment. We thought we'd have a go at breaking down this issue because it seems weird that Australia, as one of the largest exporters of gas in the world, is supposedly gripped by a gas shortage and a gas crisis. As a nation, Australia produces more gas than it needs, but yet the people who need it can't be guaranteed access to it and are about to be price gouged out the eyeballs. There's new evidence tonight Australia's power crisis is far from over. Consumers are being warned energy bills could rise by 50% and gas prices may double in the next two years. Jesse will be able to shed some more light on the issue, but for anyone who isn't really sure about why we ain't cooking with gas and why power companies can't just head down to the servo or Bunnings and pick up a few extra gas bottles to charge up, Here's a quick rundown. Australia's basically got an energy system whereby the companies who pull things like gas and coal out of the ground process it and supply power into the grid. Renewable energy providers do the same thing. They all charge their rate to supply the power and then retailers like Energy Australia, Origin, etc., etc., take it from the grid and supply it to me and you, 
to local consumers, whether they be ordinary people or businesses and so on. Similar to a primary producer who sells their product to a grocery cartel uh, who then sell it on to you. Gas makes up roughly 20% of the power that goes into the energy market and when all is well, all is well. However, globally, there's been stuff like the war in Ukraine, which has caused gas to be a hot commodity with Russia being one of the major exporters of the resource. That's driven up the price of gas globally and means that the multinational companies who pull out the gas from underneath our soil can get a much higher price for Australian gas overseas than previously. They reckon roughly two-thirds of our gas is tied up in long-term contracts overseas, with roughly a third available for short-term contracts and the local market. However, now that gas is fetching a pretty price overseas, the gas that was meant for Australian consumers is getting sold offshore. And given the multinational resources companies don't have any sentimental feelings about looking after consumers here, like me and you, that means the gas goes overseas. And we don't have enough locally to keep things chugging. And that sent the government to order the Australian energy market operator who was supposed to be in charge of these things to make sure providers are putting enough supply into the system to keep the lights on and the heaters going around the country. You probably would have noticed a few weeks ago there were some calls for people to limit their heating and limit their electricity use as we were gripped by the energy crisis. All this comes despite the fact that as a nation we rank in the top three for gas exports globally. Uh, We were top a couple of years ago and there is no crisis in the Democratic People's Republic of Western Australia because their government made sure a few years ago to make sure that 15% of the gas from the state had to be available for use in the state no matter what. Uh, This is what the former West Australian Premier Alan Carpenter, who was responsible for that piece of legislation, said this week about the current crisis gripping the East. There's a sense of lost opportunity. That's that's really what it's about. And terrible, terrible energy policy mismanagement for the last nine years. And look, the ordinary people of Australia are the ones who have to pay the price. And that's what I feel bad about. Um, it, it was all completely avoidable. They always love to rub it into our easterners, and this time around, it does seem justified. Now, the current government is blaming the old government for the situation. This is the Energy Minister, Chris Bowen. Seen some commentary, some unnamed commentary from members of the former government saying the new government, which was sworn in yesterday, should be doing more, apparently. Uh, this is a government which pro- the former government promised a gas-fired recovery and left us a gas bin fire. For the new government to deal with. The old government is saying everyone's at fault and this latest crisis is an example that renewable energy isn't reliable, which I don't know, may or may not have anything to do with the fact that they've stopped progress on renewables for the last two decades. This is what the former energy minister, Angus Taylor, had to say. We made a series of commitments to investments in storages, in in pipelines, uh, in transparency in the market. And Chris Bowen called those initiatives BS, I won't use the full word he used, and fraud. That is not how you get the gas industry to work with you to solve these problems. And, of course, the gas companies are blaming the respective governments for not letting them pull more gas out of the ground. That's what they reckon could solve it. So, Jesse Noakes, as I just mentioned, is going to join us now to walk us through how we got here 
and where do we go from here? He is a writer, podcaster, a modern-day hustler in this world of media. He's from Western Australia. He's written for The Guardian. He's written for the ABC, Vice, The Monthly, and The Saturday Paper, where he's had a big piece about the underlying causes behind the gas crisis and the reasons that we are in the predicament that we are in. Jesse, thanks very much for buzzing in, saying hello. Wendell. Very kind of you. Um, lovely, lovely, generous intro. Good to be with you. How's it going? It is good. It is good out here in the Channel Country. Obviously not looking forward to opening up the next power bill. It might make me say some things worse than, you know, you'd hear from, say, a Bush Rugby League player on the sideline after eight or nine tins of full strength. But we are going to try and unpack this a little bit. Now, you've been working on this issue and the gas crisis over the last little while. Where have things gotten to in terms of a quick summary over the last couple of weeks? Well, yeah, I mean, the last I, I wrote a piece for the Saturday paper a couple of weeks back, and since then, things have stabilised a little bit, but the past month's certainly been a roller coaster ride for the Australian energy market, not something you hear too much about. At the best of times, obviously, it's been a long-running conversation to a kind of pretty monotonous degree for, for years, decades now even, as Labor and Liberal, Liberal governments trade spars over kind of broad-stroke energy policy, climate policy, all of that. But the past month or so, the chickens have really come home to roost in most of the country. So we've seen prices spike quite dramatically as the East Coast and well, really the whole of the country seen an extended cold snap over the past month, kind of the first cold weeks of winter, uh, which has obviously driven demand in the local market through the roof at the same time that coal-fired power stations across the East Coast have been out of action for various reasons, some of them not too readily explained. <laughs> At the same time, globally, there's obviously been a war in the Ukraine now for a number of months that's meant that Russia's energy supply hasn't been entering the grid globally in the way it usually does at the same time that the global economy ramps right back up after two years of downtime over COVID. So it's kind of, in some ways, a perfect storm. The result has been that wholesale energy prices have spiked to really quite wild degrees, 8,000% at mm. points in Victoria, for instance, a couple of weeks ago, 80 times the usual price. And it's meant that the regulator, the Australian energy market operators, had to step in on a number of occasions a couple of weeks ago. They capped prices at 40 bucks a gigajoule um, for the consumer energy market, which is still a few times higher than it's been for most of the past few years. And last week, they suspended the spot market entirely, effectively sort of temporary nationalisation almost of the wholesale energy market, saying you guys, the individual retailers, you can't sort it out amongst yourselves. Some of you are gouging. Some of you can't meet demand. We're going to basically enforce a mandate and take the problem off your hands um, for the foreseeable future. So that's a pretty unprecedented step. It's never happened before at a national level. happened a couple of times in various states that have been in meltdown in years gone by. But it does seem to have done the trick temporarily at least, the kind mm. of the price spikes have stabilised. But I think for the folks at home, they're still waiting for the real damage to come in. The next, as you say, the next round of energy bills could be looking at sort of 15, 20% increases in prices, a couple of hundred bucks in the hip pocket for mum and dad perhaps, which obviously with the cost of living crisis across the board, 
being as it is, mm. uh, won't make things any easier. Yeah, yeah, and power bills. We've heard so much over the last decade about power bills going up and up and up and everyone's feeling it. And now this next power bill could be the power bill from hell. It could be an absolute whopper. And as you yeah. mentioned, their AMO stepped in and basically started capping all of the power prices. They had that huge intervention you were talking about. They're peeling back off as of the end of this week, I believe. So they believe that it may sort of stabilise. Uh, that's what they're yeah. saying, but potentially there'll be another intervention in a couple of weeks' time if we seem to have the same issues. But the thing that really stands out to me is that, and and many people may not know it, but we are one of the largest exporters of gas in the world. A couple of years ago, I think we were the largest exporter of gas in the world since we've just been pipped by the United Arab Emirates and America. But we're right up there in terms of the amount of gas that we are pulling out of the ground and the seafloor, you know, we we have all of this gas, we have so much gas. So how does a nation that has, you know, more gas than uh, hundreds of other countries end up in an energy crisis like this? By taking its eye off the ball completely, I think, and just sort of washing its hands and turning its back and thinking it'll be someone else's problem. And I mean, it's kind of proven to be the case for coalition government after a decade in power. I'm not one to... to slam the libs unnecessarily but i mean you've really got to say that angus taylor and the rest of that mob have really sort of just handballed a hand grenade mm. to the labor government for 10 years they've done effectively nothing to guarantee energy supply they've completely failed to affect or invest in any kind of transition to renewable energy which is cheaper and cleaner and generally a better bet as long as you can get the basics right and get the fundamentals in place in time so it's an entirely predictable short-term crisis, as I say. There's, there's been a confluence of factors, a cold snap across the East Coast, coal-fired power going out of action internationally. You've got a war in mm. Ukraine, of course, the pandemic kind of easing off across yeah. the board. But what we've got is that those global factors are impacting the domestic market to a degree that just shouldn't be the case. Like you say, we've got tonnes of gas, more yep. than twice what we need. We just ship almost all of it straight overseas into soaring short-term and spot markets in Europe and Asia, filling the demand over there while the folks at home have to kind of pick up the pieces. And often it's the case that it's actually cheaper to buy it back off the international market than it is to get it off the domestic market here. Yeah, yeah. send it overseas and then buy it back at a cheaper price. It is is crazy. And it's probably worth noting at this point, I want to talk about the perfect storm. We keep hearing a lot about the perfect storm, which, you know, references what's happening in Ukraine, coal-fired power stations going down and a particularly cold winter. I mean, they always seem very cold, but this one is supposedly a little bit colder. We always hear, we hear about this perfect storm, but it seems like the perfect storm really is what hasn't happened over the last 10 to 15 years in terms of shoring up our energy supply. Because when we look at your home state of Western Australia, the uh, Democratic People's Republic of Western Australia, as we have referred to it in the newspaper in the past, there is no energy crisis right now. I think you're paying roughly the same, well, retailers and wholesalers are roughly sorting out gigajoules at about $6.50, which is very similar to the price it's been for the last little while. People from Western Australia might be going, what gas crisis? We're not really sure what's going on. Can you tell us about why there is no gas crisis over in Western Australia? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as you say, people in WA might be kind of shaking their heads and kind of a bit bemused by the whole situation. Certainly the local paper over there, the West Australian newspaper, nothing on your daily rag, of course. But, um, State media over there. there. Exactly. Uh, the, the local mouthpiece. Um, you haven't heard a peep about the gas crisis on the front page of that fine organ 
because there isn't one. And that actually goes back about 15 years to a decision that was made by a previous Labor government, um, Alan Carpenter, former WA Premier. Lovely man, doesn't say too much these days, likes to stay out of the limelight, but he did have a quick chat to me the other day and um, explain the basics of WA's domestic gas reservation policy, which essentially means they keep 15% of any gas produced in Western Australia for the people of Western Australia to ensure domestic gas supplies, not just the folks at home, also the Alcoa, aluminum mm. smelters and other industrial projects down south. But basically all the gas that's being pumped out of the Pilbara and the Kimberley from onshore and offshore projects, at least 15% of that is mandated to stay in Western Australia, which means that there's always a plentiful supply, even if it gets a bit colder, which it has been over the past few weeks as well on the West Coast, um, cold and wet. Even when demand shoots up, there's a baseline supply to ensure that you don't see the sort of squeeze that the rest of the country has seen recently. Mm. That decision, which was taken in the face of quite a lot of political pressure a few years back by Alan Carpenter, is paying dividends in a big way at the moment. Yeah, it looks to be a pretty smart decision now. And for reference, basically that was in regards to the Gorgon Gas Project, wasn't it? Just up above Exmouth there. I think it was 2006 or something like that. Basically Exxon, wasn't it, came over and said, hey, we want this gas project. Carpenter said, well, you need to make sure that 15% of gas going forward is available for West Australians. And they said, uh, no, sorry, we need to have every ounce of gas available to be exported offshore uh, as per contracts as they rise. And Carpenter basically told them to get fucked, didn't he? He said, he called their bluff and said, no worries, thanks for coming over. Yeah. He, Not interested. He, he stared them down. He said, well, yeah, if, if you can't, if you can't meet that simple demand, then you can, you know, tell your story walking and go and find someone else's gas fields to, to drill for your kind of your super profits. Yeah. And it turned out that actually when they had to think about it and had a chance to sleep on it and re-crunch the numbers and, you know, do the spreadsheets again, turns out they could actually take the hit with 15% sale in WA after all. And all of that process of crunching numbers and all that sort of stuff, that um, they got that done pretty quickly in under like 24 hours or something, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think they were back the next morning about 10am. Yeah, 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 kind right. of... They move very fast. Yeah. And I think the Federal Resources Minister at the time, Ian McFarlane, he called it a mad dog's breakfast or something like that. Yeah, like I say, Alan Carpenter, took a heap of, heap of hits for it. Mm. Um, the federal government, the coalition government at the time, last days of John Howard, thought it was a terrible idea for understandable reasons. Certainly all the multinational energy companies thought it was a shocking idea. I believe Colin Barnett, the opposition leader at the time, also had some choice words to say about it. However, he's since been out more recently kind yeah. of on a unity ticket with, with Mr Carpenter saying, well, actually, it turns out when you look at what's happening elsewhere right now, maybe Alan was onto something back then. Yeah, um, yeah, I I noticed he came out, um, and so he's a former Liberal Premier of Western Australia, and I noticed that he came out this week saying, during my travels as Premier, I had governments internationally, and I'm talking about national governments, just basically laughing, saying that Australia is crazy and not preserving some of its gas. So again, it's not he's not a Labor Premier who's coming out you know, after the fact and saying, look how smart we were. It seems to be a bipartisan recognition over in the West that this was a really good thing for the state and was crucial to... Um, um, ensure that yeah, I mean, Bar- Barnett actually beat Carpenter at the 2008 election, much to everyone's surprise. So they certainly weren't um, political allies at the time, quite the mm. opposite. But um, they've become firm friends on this issue, at least since then, because I think the results just speak for itself. And it is, it's laughable that Australia finds itself in this situation 15, 16 years later, when they've had over a decade to look at the example WA set and do something about it. It's a bit late now to turn around kind of, you know, the coldest winter, coldest start to winter in quite a while and go, oh, shit, well, we've 
kind of drop the ball now a bit late. Yeah, it seems to be a bit of a theme over the last few years in federal politics that, um, oh, shit hits the fan and then all of a sudden we're trying to scramble and fix the issue rather than being a little bit more proactive and getting ahead of it. I just wanted to ask now that Peter Dutton, who is now the leader of the party that has been in charge for the past decade, they have basically said that, ah, these kind of things happen. Peter Dutton, uh, a few days ago, I believe, said that um, over a long period of time, people have been taking different positions, including state government. The fault is all around here. So he's basically trying to say, lean into this thing of, um, you know, this is just the circumstances that have created this. What are some of the steps that the federal government has done over the last 10 years to kind of avoid this or to not act properly in terms of getting on top of the issue? I mean, I think fundamentally the federal government's major failing, and it is a major failing, is to do nothing to transition the economy away from fossil fuels and away from sort of unreliable old energy into the new reality of renewable energy, which the rest of the world has done to a far more expeditious and effective degree than we have for the most part, certainly the Western energy market. That's the case. I mean, they are all still on the hook to Russian gas, for instance, in Europe. It's not mm. as though the situation on the East Coast is unique. Um, there's an energy crisis across most of Europe and indeed most of the world currently with prices like in Boris Johnson, for example, in the UK just had to whack a super profits tax on energy retailers in London last month. But nonetheless, the coalition government in Australia over the last nine years is pretty remarkable for its inaction and its complete sort of shamelessness where it comes to taking responsibility for that inaction. So Alan Carpenter, for example, to take one of many people I've spoken to over the past couple of weeks about this, while he accepted plaudits for the domestic gas reservation policy, he also made the point that at the end of the day, gas isn't the answer. The only long-term answer is renewable energy and transitioning to that. And I think the point that Anthony Albanese and Chris Bowen and others have been making this week, the new incoming Labor government, they've basically said, well, you've left us with no real short-term options. We can't mm. pull the trigger, the gas trigger that Malcolm Turnbull enshrined in law in 2017 because it won't take effect for at least six months, even if we did that right now to divert supplies. The long-term contracts that a lot of these energy companies are engaged in means that the impact will be negligible until the start of next year. So that trigger is effectively off the table. Yeah, not sure Not sure uh, how many triggers there are that um, take six months to come into effect. It's the slowest trigger being pulled ever. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like this trigger that has to involve some consultancy with the energy sector, with these large companies, and take six months to come into effect was... I don't know, written in consultation potentially with the sector that would benefit from the trigger? They, they, may, they, may, they, may, have, they may have had some input. There, there may have been some, you know, some handshakes and some... some a few some long lunches? Yeah, yeah. Who, who can say? Who, you've got to do what you've got to do to get yeah. the job done. That's that's the way um, politics works. Greek, 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 that's it. I mean, and that's, that's the other thing that the Libs have been out kind of calling for over the past few weeks is repeated calls for the Labor government to quote unquote get on the phone to the energy companies and basically kind of, you know, pull them into line, have a few choice and harsh words and let them know what, what Australia expects. The trouble is, of course, that capitalism doesn't work that way. You can't kind of talk your way out of a series of cartels and sort of international speculation markets mm. when you can make 80 times what the um, local retail price was a few weeks ago, selling it off overseas on the spot markets. Why would you do anything else, even if you've got Madeline King blowing up your phone and sending you texts at midnight? 
yep. the Saudi dollar is going to kind of be slightly more persuasive than whatever the resources minister can can whisper in your ear over the day. Yes, and the likes of Santos and Origin and Shell aren't mum and dad businesses owned, you know, in suburban Brisbane or at the back of Penrith. No, no. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. They've got um, bigger fish to fry and louder voices calling them from other countries saying, well, we'll take it if, um, if the local market can't keep up. So... I think the deeper problem, along with the failure to do anything to transition to renewables, is the process of what's often called state capture that's taken place in recent years and realistically recent decades, whereby, as you alluded to earlier, energy policy in Australia and indeed a lot of the talking points that the government mouths around it are effectively written by multinational energy companies, by lobbyists to suit their own short-term and longer-term needs. And it means that there's been a real stasis and a kind of apathy in the Australian government for the past mm. decade or so. Yeah, and, and that kind of leads me into the next line of questioning, I guess, in terms of solutions and outcomes. As you said, there are so few short-term options available. Is there anything really in the short term that this new federal government can do? Any actual triggers they can pull? I mean, Bowen has told AMO that they have his support in terms of intervention and all that sort of stuff, but that seems a bit like a temporary stopgap measure. Is there anything else in the short term that could be done feasibly by a government here to intervene and correct things? Well, I mean, the only thing that in the very short term seems available and has been actioned is um, what we've seen in New South Wales in recent days, where there's some sort of decree that's been enacted by the state Liberal government in New South Wales to compulsorily acquire effectively capacity from coal-fired power generation to ensure that that comes back into the grid, which appears to have made a bit of a dent in the mm. supply problem over last week and into this week, in addition to some of the colder weather sort of easing off slightly and thus the local demand decreasing. I mean, really, I think that's only a very short-term stopgap. In the medium term, I think the obvious solution is for the other states to follow Western Australia's example from 2006 onwards and mm. enshrine domestic gas reservation policy. That could happen at the national level, it could happen at the state level, but it's not going to happen overnight. So short term, getting all the capacity back into the system that's available would be a very good way to go. Ensuring that it's not all getting shipped straight overseas as soon as the crisis lifts would be the next step. Yep. And long term, I mean, there's only one game in town and that's transitioning to renewables as quick as we can. That applies at both an economic level. Locally, it also applies at general and global level yep. in terms of the impact that our fossil fuel economy is having on global emissions. And obviously, that's only going to make cold snaps like the one we've seen in the East Coast in recent weeks more likely going forward. So at the moment, we're trapped in a vicious cycle. They're notoriously hard to get out of. There are mechanisms and ways to do it. It'll take political will at all levels, local, state and national. And regrettably, it probably won't come soon enough to stop the next power bill hitting people where it hurts. Just on the federal government, because as you mentioned earlier, in terms of short-term solutions, uh, not a lot, and it needs to be long-term vision. In terms of in the medium, has there been much from the federal government? Obviously, they're working out their commitments to, as you said, those big projects and emissions targets going forward being cut and uh, making sure we have sufficient renewable energy sources to power the network. But in terms of the gas crisis and all of that, as of now and as of the next little bit, are we seeing a lot from the new federal government? government in terms of action to do things other than just basically backing AMO? I don't think the federal government quite knows whether it's Arthur or Martha at the moment. Mm. I think they've kind of they've walked into this two or three weeks ago. Chris Bowen was saying the other day that he was at his swearing-in ceremony with the GG 
getting texts from his department basically saying you're fucked. We kind of, you know, <laughs> sorry, sorry to break it to you, boss. You know, welcome, good to see you. Nice to meet you yesterday. You, you said know, you we'll wanted this job. But, but, yeah, well, before then, we've got a bit of a shitstorm on our hands, I'm afraid. So, no, I mean, I think, you know, we saw basically the best bet they had was to get all the premiers together at National Cabinet last week. And the outcome from that was a lot of highfalutin talk about doing what WA has done, bringing in a reservation policy, ensuring mm. that, you know, Everything is done to mobilise all existing capacity to get more energy into the system right now. But, I mean, short of hoping that the weather warms up real quick. A um, couple of other things that I've noticed over the last couple of weeks I just wanted to ask you about. A couple of other suggestions um, for potential solutions or ways to navigate this thing going forward. Dr. Ken Henry, who was the Australian Treasury Secretary from 2001 to 2011, he came out and said that a gas export tax could solve the windfall. I'm assuming that you know the gas that we send overseas, we take money out of that and then we use that to basically subsidise power and ensure that people can get decent energy bills going forward. Would something like that have any legs, do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Ken Henry's previously been supportive of super profits taxes. The trick back then was getting it through Parliament. Mm. Um, I think the calculus has shifted, which probably does make that more viable now. Back back then, you might remember, with the Rudd government super profits tax, it basically sunk Rudd at the time in the face of yep. sustained and very combative lobbying from the resources industry over a decade ago. Try it now with upper house that's comprised, you know, the balance of power sits with 12 green senators and a number of teal crossbenchers. You're going to get a much more receptive rubber stamp, I would say, for that sort of approach. The final solution I wanted to throw at you, I wanted to gauge your thoughts on this one. Santos CEO or Santos CEO, uh, Kevin Gallagher, he's actually offered up uh, an interesting solution. He says, Australia's gas crisis has been coming for a long time. As much as activists want us to jump and transition to green energy, the fact of the matter is that those green energy sources aren't there today. So he says the solution is to bring on new gas projects and more gas projects and get a bit more gas out of the ground. He reckons that's the solution. What do you make of that? Uh, look, I think, I mean, let, let's let's go back to where we started. The problem is not that there's not enough gas. I mean, it, it's, it's laughable to suggest that what's needed is more gas in the Australian system. Mm. That is true right? because people like Santos are shipping it all straight overseas to make you know, record markups on, on their product. So to say that what's needed is more energy coming out of the ground for starters, it's going to take several years for any of these big projects to come online anyway. You can't just plant a flag and then start pumping the next week. It takes years for the infrastructure to be ready. Um, we're talking 2025, 2026 before any of the new gas mega projects are coming online. And realistically, the costs far outweigh the benefits anyway. Um, mm. The energy supply matrix will be such that the gas coming online then will probably be far less cost-effective cost than it is today in any case. And fundamentally, when you've got more gas than you need coming out of the ground already, it's not about pumping more. It's about being selective about where you pump it to yeah. and making sure Australian homes and Australian businesses get first dibs rather than the European and Asian markets where it's just a complete free-for-all and where people like Sandals are effectively playing speculator mm. um, and running a global cartel with yeah. their multinational mates. Oh, I'm sure. Running a flagpole, but um, probably these days there are better ways to get the job done. I'm sure Kev just forgot to mention. I'm sure he is planning, and his company is planning on this gas that would come out in these future projects. More of it would go to Australian consumers. I, I think I'm sure he just forgot to say that in the interview. That's probably what that. Fingers, fingers, fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers fingers crossed. crossed. Yeah, we'll, we'll no, trust. I'm sure I'm sure we'll trust. The right place. 
Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jesse, for jumping on and running us through this crisis that we're hearing so much about. It's in the news every day. And as you said, people are going to be feeling it over the next long while, really. Thanks very much for jumping on. Great pleasure, Wendell. Nice to be with you. I hope you can stay warm over mm. coming days and weeks and not pay too much for it. And um, yeah, I think just worth remembering we've done it to ourselves the problem is um entirely our own making we can fix it if we want to so um so get out there and um make sure that when the power wheels come home maybe send them to the santos boss and um let him know what you reckon forward them on all right thanks good on you thanks mate